Well, if this is your uh, first, second, third time here, I'd like to encourage you to take one of those welcome cards in the pew rack in front of you and fill that out so we have an uh, address of, of your attendance and we can send correspondence back and forth to you. Um, we call ourselves a biblical community here uh, because we, we hold these four values really high, learning, loving, worship, prayer. We worship passionately. We learn passionately studying God's word. We do our best to love each other in community. And we pray together. And in light of that, um, there's a few things God has on my heart that I want to ask you to pray with me about this morning. And one of those would be, um, is Jesse here, Rick? Jesse Turner? Jesse, could you stand up so everybody could see who you are? I won't make you stay standing, then you can sit back down. You can greet Jesse afterwards. Jesse leaves in just about a week to go to Israel, where she'll be for three to four months, five months. And she'll be staying in a kibbutz there. Um, I don't fully understand the kibbutz, but it's kind of like a, a process by which the government of Israel allows those who are coming to live in Israel to stay in a community as they readapt themselves to the Israel way of life. And Jesse, being a believer, is not exactly encouraged by the Israeli government to share her faith, um, but overtly or covertly maybe, she will, um, as God gives her opportunity be sharing her faith in Christ. So would you pray for her as she does that? She's going to be studying Hebrew there, and she'll be working in that community, and I think it's a great thing that you're doing, so go get them for that. So pray for her about that. Um, Also ask you to pray for a family member of mine and Lori's. Um, Lori's Aunt Dawn passed away two days ago with uh, pancreatic cancer, and her husband Jerry, Jerry Shevlin, is the president of the Baptist General Conference. And she came down with pancreatic cancer last summer, and they treated her intensely. Um, She's only in her 50s, and they just weren't able to save her. So Jerry's family, Jerry Shevlin family, if you would pray for them as well. And I'm just going to pray for you, because I know this has been a, a week in your life in which there's just been all kinds of things going on. And as we enter into studying God's Word this morning, I just want to ask that God will help us to set those things aside so we can fully dedicate ourselves to learning what he has for us. So would you bow with me? Father, first of all, I I just want to praise you for the life of Don Shevland and ask that you would be in the midst of the healing process and the mourning process for Jerry and his children. Father, she's been a, a great example to the Christian world of a godly woman, and so we thank you for that memory. But we ask that you would bring peace and comfort to Jerry. Father, we ask that you would bless uh, Jesse Turner's efforts as she goes off to Israel. And I ask, God, that you would give her opportunities to proclaim the name of Jesus Christ. Um, it could be at her own peril or at her own risk, Father. So we ask for your protection physically of her and for your protection around her so that she can feel the boldness of the Holy Spirit. So we, God, we, we ask in confidence knowing that you want the best for her. Father, for my brothers and sisters in this room, some of us uh, further along in the process of getting to know you, some of us just beginning or, or not in relationship with you yet. But we're here and we want to spend some time knowing more about you, your character and your nature. So we ask, Father, that you would be in our midst right now that you would allow us to set aside what's become a very busy week, the transitions in our lives, 
the hustle and bustle of work, all those things that seem to complicate and clutter our mind, we ask that you would help us to set it aside so that we can wholly dedicate ourselves to learning more of you right now. We ask this in the mighty name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen. Have you ever had a uh, long, long walk after some type of substantial division in your home? Some type of disruption that's caused you to say, I just got to get some fresh air. And so you walk out the door. Not meaning to offend anyone, of course, but just going for a walk to get a new perspective. But at the end of that walk, after whatever disruption caused you to walk out of the family environment, you ultimately have to make a turn and go back. In that turning process, there's a change of mind that takes place of, okay, I'm going to deal with this, and I'm going to go back and face it, no matter how difficult it might be. Because the alternative is leaving home. That's what we learned about last week in Genesis chapter 16. Hagar, the maidservant of Sarai, who took off. She ran a young pregnant slave girl trying to get away from a hostile environment. And God interrupted her along the way and said, I want you to go back to where you just came from and submit yourself to the authority of your mistress, Sarai. That was a big ask on the part of God. And he said, in response to that, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to bless the child that you're carrying within you. His name will be Ishmael. Now, we know that she went back because the child was born within the household of Abram. She walked back into this setting. Now, picture this. The girl who had been tormented by her mistress, Sarai, her boss, willingly walked back into this environment, past the same herd of sheep, past the same horses, past the same oxen, and she saw Sarai and Abram and knew that she had to go back to them and say, I want to come back home. That was a big ask on the part of God. And she responded, and 13 years go by, 13 years of unrest. God said that this child, he promised it in Genesis chapter 16. If you haven't read it before yourself, read it later today. He promised the child Ishmael, the father of the Arab nation, and all those who come from him would be a wild donkey of a man, and that his hand would be against everyone that he would cause disruption wherever he went. Not every single person within that race. But God said, characteristically, this will be their nature. So how long do you think it was before Abram started to see those characteristics show up in the life of Ishmael? 13 years of age? 8 years of age? 2 years of age? No, I don't want to! Was he rebellious? Did he have an attitude against everyone around him? God said it, so you can depend on the fact that he was a rebellious young man, a rebellious child. 
We don't get those details other than God said, it will be this way. So 13 years of opportunity for Abram to live with some degree of regret that he went into Hagar and fathered a child by her. Certain characteristics certainly were visible in the life of this young man, and some of those had to remind him of the mistake that he made by going into Hagar. Have you had a similar experience in your life in which you wanted it your own way and you went to whatever length you needed to to make it happen and God let you go? He said, okay, I'm going to let you do this, but you're going to learn. Thirteen years later, God shows up again and he has a new promise for Abram. But first he let leanness enter into his heart. There was a period of time in which the children of Israel were so rebellious against God that they chased after other foreign gods, small g, and they worshipped in other places. They rebelled against God. They wanted things their own way. But in Psalms, the writer of Psalms write this about them. And he gave them their request, but sent leanness into their soul. Psalm 106, 51. He gave them their request, but sent leanness into their soul. It didn't fulfill. It didn't bring joy to them, the things that they wanted. Now, I invite you this morning to turn with me to Genesis chapter 17. If you don't have your own Bible with you, there's Bibles in the pew racks in front of you. Those Bibles are there for you if you don't own your Bible. If you would like to take one, you're free to do that after the service. There's NIV and NASB there, and you can open it up, and it'll also be up on the screen, Genesis 17.1, if you want to follow along with me. Now, when Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am God Almighty, Walk before me and be blameless. You might have a version that says, be perfect. You could substitute the word blameless or perfect. Anybody in here feel like they want to sign up for that category? Just a show of hands. No? You might after you understand the meaning of the word blameless. Theologians would say that Genesis 17, this chapter, is critical to understanding the New Testament. If you don't understand Genesis 17 and what takes place here, the New Testament becomes much more complicated to you. So we're going to take a few verses here and explain what God is asking of us as those who walk before him. Now, when Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am God Almighty, walk before me and be blameless. Whenever God is describing himself in Scripture, you want to pay special attention. Your little radar signs should be going off. All the flags and warning. Oh, here's something I want to know. God's saying, I am God Almighty. We use the word Shaddai or Shade. Perhaps you've heard it that way. Here's the first interpretation of the word Shade, the Almighty. Well, that one's not real helpful, is it? Because it comes actually from a root word, Shaddad. Now look at the definition for the word Shaddad. To be burly, powerful, utterly lay waste. Now there's a powerful image of God. Now not burly in the sense of 
He's a hairy mass, okay? We're not talking about that. Burly, powerful, impregnable. You can't advance beyond him. Shaddad is the root word where it comes from. Now, theologians really struggle with this description because if you haven't kept track before, this is the first time I am God Almighty is ever used in the Bible. El Shaddai. El, no problem there. They understand what that means. God. El is God. But Shaddad is more difficult. Now, it's kind of a sensitive description, so follow closely on this because in, in the Middle Eastern culture, you have to understand, they are much more visual than what we are. We think we are a visual people, but the scriptures are full of visual descriptions. So when God says, I am God Almighty, he's not just saying, powerful. Shaddad is also a picture of a mountain, but not the type of mountain you immediately think of. It's a description of the breast, the place of nourishment. So in combination with the picture of God Almighty and the picture of nourishment, we have an imagery of God saying, I am the sustainer. I am capable in all forms to be your powerful substance, the one who provides in every circumstance. Why would God reveal this particular name to Abram after 13 years? God hasn't shown up for 13 years. And he's dealing with this child of turmoil in his life. And now God shows up and the first thing he says to him, I am God Almighty. I think it's like this. You have been learning, Abram, for 13 years of your inability to provide. Let me show you now, I am the one who is sustaining. I am God Almighty. And with that, he calls him to a new level of behavior. Walk before me and be perfect. It's in light of a new awareness of who God is. He says, I want you to walk before me and be tamayim. Look at the description for that word, blameless. Without blemish, complete, sincerely sound, without spot, undefiled, upright, wholly dedicated. God's saying, Abram, this is the point in your life when you've got to lay aside the things that you think you can do, the things that you believe you bring to the table, because I am God Almighty, and you're not, and I'm calling you to a new level of behavior. Remember after the battle with the four kings, and God showed up to Abram after he rescued his nephew Lot, and God said to him what? I am your shield. Then after he turned down the treasure from Sodom, all the wealth and riches, God showed up again and he said, Abram, I am your great reward. And now he shows up and says, I am almighty. I am your sustainer. You're not going to try and do this on your own anymore. This is what Jesus calls us to as followers of the, in the New Testament church at a new level. He says, I want you to lay it aside. Matter of fact, this is the way he said it. Jesus specifically said, anyone laying his hand to the plow and looking back 
is not fit for the kingdom of heaven. He's saying, you've got to dedicate yourself to me. Don't look at the past. Lay aside these previous issues. Let's move forward. Now, revelation of God always brings responsibility. There's a whole new world that's been opened up to him. Revelation of God, I understand you're God Almighty, and now I have a responsibility. And God's saying, here's what I want you to do, Abram. You're going to walk before me and be perfect. And now look in verse 2. I will establish my covenant between me and you, and I will multiply you exceedingly. Abram fell on his face, and God talked with him. If God calls us to walk before him perfect, blameless, wholly dedicated to him, how do you do that? Look at what Abram did. He fell on his face. If you are to walk before God, and you're going to be wholly dedicated to him, in humbleness you say, God, just like Abram, I'm laying it all aside. I can't do this on my own. And Abram's overwhelmed and saying, okay, I understand. I give. And he goes down to his knees. Verse 4. As for me, behold, my covenant is with you, and you will be the father of a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be called Abraham, for I have made you the father of a multitude of nations." Understand, up to this point, Abram has every single reason to believe that Ishmael is going to be the promised child. There's nothing in the conversation that God had with Hagar to indicate that Ishmael wasn't going to be the one through which multitudes would come. So God has to show up and say, I'm going to clarify things for you. And that's what you're going to see unfold here. Now, verse 4, God says, as for me... Then in verse 9, he says, as for you. But let's follow first in verse 6. Let's see what God is calling him to do. Verse 6, I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make nations of you, and kings will come forth from you. I will establish my covenant between me and you and your descendants after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your descendants after you, I will give to you and to your descendants after you the land of your sojournings, all the land of Canaan, Israel. You can write that in parentheses. All the land of Israel for an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. There's two things I want you to pull out of that passage that I just read to you. If you happen to be the kind of person who circles things in your Bible, that very first time you see the word nations arrive there, I want to explain that word to you. I will make nations of you. The word goyem, goye, Gentile. I will make Gentile nations of you. Now you have to ask yourself this question. If Abram is the father of the Jews, how is God going to make Gentiles from him? That's the word, goye. That's what it means, a foreign nation a Gentile people, God, I'm a Jew. How are you going to make Gentiles through me? What you see here is a prophecy of God saying, you will not only have a biological family, you're going to have 
a spiritual family, Jesus Christ being the descendant of Abram, through Abram, through Jesus, all of us, according to Hebrews, the book of Hebrews in the New Testament, are part of the heritage of Abram. Not meaning that we're all entitled to the Jewish rites, but this is God saying, I will make a Gentile nation of you. Now the next thing I want you to pull out of this is also that Israel's title deed to the land, it's a vital part of God's covenant. You may not see in modern times Israel possessing all that God promised them, but it will happen. God promised it. They've had limited border control, but in the Messianic kingdom, when Jesus Christ returns to rule, they will control all that was promised to them. You're seeing two levels of prophecy within this verse. God gave them the land. He said, if you obey me and follow me, you'll be blessed through it and you'll have it. But it doesn't take away title deed just because they're not following him. Ultimately, no matter what Ahmadinejad says, like this last week, when he said, I will wipe Israel off the face of the earth. Sorry, God says otherwise. Understand that. Just because there's saber rattling going on does not take away the promise. God is their protector. Now let's look at verse 9. God said further to Abram, Now as for you, here's his requirement. Now as for you, you shall keep my covenant, you and your descendants after you throughout their generations. This is my covenant which you shall keep between me and you and your descendants after you. Every male among you shall be circumcised, and you shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskin, and it shall be the sign of the covenant between me and you. And every male among you who is eight years old, think of Jesus at eight years of age, and his parents took him to the temple to be circumcised, shall be circumcised throughout your generations. A servant who is born in the house or who is bought with money from any foreigner who is not of your descendants, a servant who is born in your house or who is bought with your money shall surely be circumcised. Thus shall be my covenant in your flesh for an everlasting covenant. I had a great temptation to leave this passage aside because of the difficulty of teaching on it. But because God put it there, it's necessary for us to understand it. Because this indeed is the passage you need to understand to properly understand the New Testament. What a strange requirement God made of these people. Not that he's made it of us today, but that he made of his covenant people. Understand that they lived in an incredibly corrupt environment. The Canaanite people worshipped all kinds of very strange things and participated in some extremely unusual rituals, many of which would make you blush today, far worse than things you read about in the newspaper. And God's saying, I want you to understand, you are so holy to me, you are so hagias to me, that you need to set yourself aside physically and you will be reminded every time you are tempted to stray, that you belong to me. We see this exact same picture in the New Testament when Paul said, we are to have a circumcised heart. Male and female, our hearts are wholly dedicated to God. 
The heart is the symbol of the soul. It controls our emotions, our will, our personality. And the writers are saying, all of us have to be given over fully to God, just as these ancient worshipers of God were called to do. God chose the Jews. The Jews did not choose God. And so he said, in order for me to represent that I have chosen you, you're going to take this mark upon your body. And if you don't do it, I will cut you off. Now, unfortunately, the Jewish people turned this into a ritual in which they thought they earned their right into heaven. But that's for another day. We won't go there. Verse 15, Then God said to Abram, As for Sarai your wife, you shall not call her name Sarai, but Sarah shall be her name. And I will bless her, and indeed I will give you a son by her. Then I will bless her, and she shall be a mother of nations. Kings of peoples will come from her. If you've been counting, this is the third new name introduced. First, El Shaddai. Second, Abraham. Now, Sarah. Men in this room, if you are with your wife, turn to her right now and call her Sarah. Just go ahead and do it. Trust me. Turn to her and call her Sarah. You've just called her the princess. That's what that means. Aren't you honored, ladies? Lori? Sarah? I don't want to leave you out. Okay. The princess. Ladies, did that give you a new sense of value? Okay, her name Sarai, before the change, it meant contentious one. (laughs) Sarah, the princess. Because why? God said, you're about to become the mother of nations. You will have a realm. Now look at Abram's response. I think I would have had the same response. Verse 17, Then Abram fell on his face and laughed. And said in his heart, Will a child be born to a man 100 years old? And will Sarah, who is 90 years old, bear a child? Legitimate question. Do you remember the word that I taught you about four weeks ago? Naah. Naah. God said, when he used that word, Naah, I am about to do something that you can't do. So, rightly so, Abram said, you got to be kidding me. Have you looked at us lately? Do you see the wrinkles? She's 90, God. But he said it in his heart. He didn't dare say it out loud. And will Sarah, who is 90 years old, bear a child? This is too impossible. And Abram said to God, Oh, that Ishmael might live before you. This occurs after God said, Sarah's going to have a son. And he's so much in doubt that he's saying, "Uh, let's just make it Ishmael. He's lived with me for 13 years. Oh, that Ishmael might live before you. Now, what did God say to him? Let me share a quote with you before we move into that next verse. This is from Warren Wiersbe. When I do some of my research, I find great authors. And Warren is one. Read this research with me, this quote. Up on the screen, when God is preparing a bright future for you, don't cling to the things of the past. Ishmael represented the past, Isaac the future. 
If you have an Ishmael in your life, yield it up to God. God has a perfect plan, and what he plans is the best. It may pain you to give up your cherished dreams, but God's way is always the right way. Ishmael, I'm sure, for as much contention as he brought into the home because of his personality, was greatly loved by his father. What father has not loved his 13-year-old son? I believe that Abram was fighting for his son. He didn't have a relationship with Isaac yet. And he's saying, God, I really would like my firstborn to be the one. How does God respond in verse 19? But God said, what? No. You didn't get it the first time 13 years ago, so let me make it very clear to you, Abram. No. But God said, no. But Sarah, your wife, will bear you a son, and you shall call his name Isaac. And I will establish my covenant with him for an everlasting covenant for his descendants after him. As for Ishmael, I have heard you. Behold, I will bless him and will make him fruitful and will multiply him exceedingly. He shall become the father of twelve princes, and I will make him a great nation. But my covenant I will establish with Isaac, whom Sarah will bear to you at this season next year. When he finished talking with him, God went up from Abram. Walk before me and be perfect. I am El Shaddai. I am God Almighty. Walk before me, Abram, and be fully dedicated because I'm about to do something that you can't comprehend or understand. And I'm giving you a sign by which you will know you are my Hagias people. You will be marked. You will be set apart. Jesus saying, anyone putting his hand to the plow cannot look behind him or he is not fit for the kingdom. Put the past behind you, Abram. Set aside the issue with Ishmael. It was a mistake. Isaac is your future. Move ahead.